Tonight is a, it's an interesting night, right? I mean, there's a buzz in the room, right? I think we got everybody seated. Um, there's a buzz in the room. There's some excitement about being here as a family and being here as friends. If, if you're visiting our church, thank you for coming and being part of Good Friday with us. Uh, our church, much like its pastor and the people that come here regularly, is under construction. And uh, so you'll see some holes and some dings and some dents. Um, and men, uh, unfortunately, there's Port-a-Johns available for you outside, but uh, there'll be more on that on Easter morning. Tonight, I want to talk to you about uh, Good Friday, the reason we're gathered. You know the most common question you get when you're a pastor about Good Friday? Why is it called good? Right? And there's been a lot of thoughts um, traded around over the centuries on how this day got that name. Um, but it seems like the best one is that the translation of good was often translated holy. And if you know what holy means, it sounds like a word, a religious word. It sounds like when you hear holy, you think of, you know, men in, in religious garb. But holy just means different and set apart. And that's tonight. It's different. It's set apart. If you were here on Sunday, I gave the church a hint of what to expect tonight. We're going to have maybe what you might deem a modern-day tenebrae service. I talked to you last week. I said, as I thought about tonight and where I felt God was leading our church in terms of reflection this Easter, I, I stumbled upon the tradition of this Holy Week service called tenebrae. Now, I'd heard about it before. I'd been around the church for a bunch of years. I didn't grow up really close to it, but I, I, I was aware of the term. But I know most folks that you know, maybe aren't that close to the church, have never heard of it before. And to be honest, outside of the church, I would have had no idea what it meant. But I looked into it, and I was inspired to this series called The Shadows. We've been walking through these shadows over the last couple of weeks. I was inspired to it uh, when I came to understand the meaning of tenebrae. You see, tenebrae, as religious and as churchy as it sounds, it really just means this. It's the Latin word for shadows. So in a sense, a tenebrae service is a service of incremental darkness and the plunging of the congregation that's you into the shadows as I thought about the service and as I thought about the holy week in scripture it seems so fitting to me to do that I thought about this very holy this very good night this very set apart evening as many of you know this final holy week of Jesus's life began what began with what was celebrated in churches around the world last week on Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry as he rode into Jerusalem for the very last time. And if you know the story, people lined the streets calling out. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, not on the, the mighty steed, perhaps, of a conquering king, but the lowly foal of a donkey. And as he came into the town, the story goes that the people lined the streets of Jerusalem, celebrated what they hoped was going to be the very real beginning of a new day for them and for their country, Israel. Because here came King Jesus into town. Here came the one who everyone knew that he could heal. Here came the one that everyone knew he could provide food. Here came the one that everyone had heard could free them from the oppression of their Roman dictators. And you know what they had to be thinking. I mean, maybe... Because I think I would think this. I think you might think this if Jesus came to our town. 
Maybe now that Jesus is in our town, maybe the tax collectors, maybe they'd be put in their place and, and maybe they'd be kept out of my family's hard-earned earnings, uh, hard-earned money, and it, it'd stop being stolen away by these lecherous turncoats and traitors to their faith. But as they watched them, they must have thought to themselves, you know, he does seem to hang out with those people a lot. Or perhaps they thought, maybe, you know, maybe just now this, that Jesus is in town, maybe he can set the moral decay of this town right. You know, the town is just becoming full of prostitutes run over by drunkards. And it's about someone, sometimes someone with some moral authority, shame these heathens into shape. But the more they noticed, the more he seemed to be dining with lots of folks like that. Well, maybe they thought, never mind with all of that. I'm sure when Jesus gets into the temple, this whole swelling of people, this whole uprising we're part of is going to come to a raucous culmination. I'm sure this movement, as it keeps growing, I'm sure that the Romans will panic and, and Jesus will cut some kind of a deal for our people so that at least we can get the boot of Roman oppression off of our neck. And so they cried out as he came. Hosanna, Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes to bring us food and health and morality and power. Jesus is in town. Now we're going to win. Jesus is in town. Now they're going to lose. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But a funny thing happened on the way to the temple. Jesus didn't do any of those things. As it was prophesied in the Old Testament, instead, instead, like a lamb before his shearers is silent, Jesus rode into town humbly. He stood before his accusers silently. And he went to his cross willingly. And it drove most of those same folks who lined the streets of the town the week before nuts. They were angry and disappointed and disillusioned, and choruses of hallelujahs on Sunday turned into chants of crucify him on Friday. And I wonder what it would be like if Jesus rode into our town. Because you see, those who line the road to Jerusalem, those who raised the palm in celebration of Jesus, as the light of the world came near, as the light of the world came near, well, it turned out they themselves cast pretty big shadows. And what looked like in the light adoration turned out to have a shadow of condemnation. And I mean, if you read the story, the shadow of humanity is all over. I mean, we're people of goodwill, but we have our shadows. Judas, one of the twelve, he was the one entrusted enough. He was the one that thought highly, so highly of that he was given a position in the group. He was in charge of the money. And yet, in his disappointment over the way things were going for him in this movement, he betrays Jesus. And for what? Money. And how does he betray him? He comes at night to the garden in the shadows of a captor's torch, and Jesus is seized in the shadow of a kiss. For in the shadow of the passion of love is often the darkness of hate. 
I mean, you know the story is Peter, right? The rock upon which Jesus would later build his church. Impetuous Peter, he said he would confess Jesus even unto his grave. When the flames came and the shadows grew near, Peter recesses into the darkness of denial and he shrinks around town under the cover of night. I'm like him. I mean, aren't we all people with aspirations of light who are often overwhelmed by darkness? We could go on. Thomas was a man of great faith whose name would come to be synonymous with the shade of his doubt. The disciples' faith in Jesus in the day turns to fear at night, and every single one of them, please don't count yourself better than them, every, th every single one of them fled. The authorities abandoned him. The religious crucified him. And they and we, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord truly has laid on him the iniquity, the shadow of us all. It's a great old song. It's an old hymn my dad used to sing it when I was a little boy. He'd walk around the house. I don't have, I'm pretty sure he didn't know of what he sang, but he'd walk, in, walk around saying, it's a song, it was a question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? I can remember him walking around the house singing it. Oh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Now my dad sings better than I do. And I remember he would, he'd end it with, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble. As I got ready tonight, as I prepared my heart for tonight, the answer to that question for me is yes. I was there. At least my shadows were. You see, I'm a man of faith. But I'm a man of doubt. I'm a man with a mind to do good for others, and yet I am often a man whose heart is fully consumed with himself. I'm a man who loves his wife deeply when she pleases me and grumbles about her when she disappoints me. I'm a man who knows, who teaches that money, or at least the love of money, is the beginning of all evil, but who also has a real hard time not trusting in the accumulation of it. At the end of the day, I'm a man who laments the inequities of the world while drinking a $5 latte. I was there, and so were you. We're people, many of us in the room, who love Jesus, but we have our shadows. Is there no wonder that both the Bible and non-biblical sources confirm that at the time of the crucifixion, the world was plunged into darkness as if in those hours our shadows had won. I was there. My shadow was there. See, I contributed to those. I made a deposit into those hours of darkness. And now, church, hear me on this. It's Friday, and Sunday is coming. And there is a light Sunday. There is a light of life which will overpower the darkness that we feel and will feel incrementally tonight. I'll put in a plug for my Sunday. 
The best five minutes of the service are the first five minutes, so don't miss Sunday morning. Because we're literally going to pick up right where we leave off tonight. But for tonight, let's stay in the moment for tonight, for the rest of the night. This service is about you and it's about I, about me. I just gave the team um, so many great volunteers a little talk in the back and I said, you know, so much of the Bible, um, much of it is written to us as individuals, but, but a lot of it is written to us as a community, to the, the people of God, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Menham Hills. See, this service is a time for individual and corporate reflection. It's not, it's not a time for, for me to be thinking about the habits uh, of my wife or for you to be thinking about the habits of your husband or your nasty boss or thinking, man, I wish, I wish this guy that is driving me nuts was here to hear this tonight. He really needs to hear this. This is about you and your shadow. Own your story. Own your shadow. As we walk through this tonight, enter into the story. Who am I? Where have I betrayed him? How have I abandoned him? Here's the absolute truth. The more that you will go there, Tonight, the more you will allow yourself to see the brokenness in your own life, the more you will enter the story and say, yes, I was there. I contributed to the darkness. I was in the shadows too. It wasn't just the sin of the world he bore. It was mine. I was responsible for the tears of his mother. The more you'll allow yourself to feel the weight of the beam of the cross upon you too, the more you will understand the joy and the meaning of the resurrection. For tonight we join Jesus in his death in order that Sunday we might join him in his new life. So we're going to enter that story and I'm going to ask you to get into it. We're going to do a couple of things tonight. Most of the rest of the evening will just be a dramatic presentation of the final hours of Jesus' life and the shadows that surrounded him. There'll be moments of singing, and I'd encourage you to sing. You don't need to stand. In fact, I don't want you to stand. I just want you to sing and, and reflect on your story as the words come up. And then at the end, when it's over tonight, we'll leave in silence, and we'll prepare our hearts to come back on Sunday morning and party like crazy. So tonight, let's enter the story. Because as Jesus came into town that week of his, his passion, he sent the disciples ahead to prepare a room for him because though he only had moments of freedom left, he desired to spend it with those he loved, those who followed him, and that's you. So we're going to begin tonight with communion. I'm going to ask the elders if they'd come forward and to do it a little bit different than we usually do because of the crowd in the room. They're going to come forward, and they're first going to hand out the first element of communion which is going to be the unleavened bread. They're going to pass that around the room. They're going to come forward. They're going to pass that. Once I see, which will be incrementally hard to do with this light in my face, once I see that you've all been served, I will, uh, I will, I'll ask you to hold on to that element, and then we'll take it together. In the meantime, it's time for you to wrestle 
with your shadow. So elders, come and distribute the bread. So here's, here's what I've been thinking a lot about lately. If you've been watching TV or watching the news, I want justice. I want people to pay for what's been done to the innocents in Belgium, Paris, California. God's a God of justice. We're a people of justice. And to the rod of justice and the measure of justice is applied to the shadows of my own life. And that night when Jesus got together with his friends, when he chose to spend that final hour with them, he picked up bread very similar to the bread that you're holding and he broke it. He said, this is my body that's hours away from being broken for you. Rest easy. Justice will prevail. But it'll prevail on my back and my stripes. And when you take the bread and it's broken, Think of the justice that was paid, the settlement that was made for your sin, and what it cost me. And when you do it, take a moment and remember me. Let's do that together. Elders, would you please distribute the cup? Around Jerusalem, the concept of a sacrifice, of somebody paying or something paying the penalty for the sin of another, was nothing unusual. That story would have shocked no one at that Last Supper. You see, all of those gathered around the table had spent their lives coming to Jerusalem, going into the temple, and being forced by Roman authorities to, to overpay for a sacrificial lamb or a sacrificial dove. And, and they would watch as the priest would, would sacrifice a living creature and he would say that, that the life is in the blood and there would be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And in fact, this became such a big deal in Jerusalem. If you read the historical reports, again, ancient historical reports that the rivers near Jerusalem would run red because of the massive amounts of sacrificial lambs which were getting slaughtered every Passover. And Jesus sat around with his friends that night and he took a cup like this and he said, gentlemen, I want to introduce you to a new covenant, a new promise, a new way to God. It will provide for you what the shedding of blood of lambs and doves have never been able, has never been able to do. It's not going to be by coming to God with your best efforts. It's not going to be by coming to God through your sacrifices or through your giving or through your good deeds. 
There's a new way to God. It's through the blood which I'm about to shed for you that will be applied to you, that will cover you, that will pay the price for your sins of yesterday and your sins of today and your sins of tomorrow. The streets of Jerusalem will never run red with the blood of lamb anymore. Behold, I have made a new way. This is the new covenant in my blood. Come to God by faith through me. And when you drink of it, remember this and remember me. Let's do it together. Pray with me, would you? Lord, I could make a public spectacle of myself in front of my friends, sharing the individual things that I have contributed, I have the sins I bring to the cross that night. I don't need to do that, though, because the Scripture tells me that you yourself remember them no more, so why do I? Jesus, this holy night, this good night, would the Holy Spirit come into this place on Route 24 in Chester? And would it move in power? And would it move in narrative story? And would it convict, of us, convict each of us of our sin, each of us of our shadows? and move us rapidly towards repentance and redemption. Jesus, we love you, and we have shadows. Amen. How could this be? How could he do this? He was our friend. They were both our friends. How could Judas do this? Betray him? Betray us? And for what? 30 pieces of silver? Was his life not worth more than that? I don't understand. I saw Judas tonight. I didn't know what to say. He didn't say much either, but I could see it in his eyes. The guilt, the shame, the regret. He did say one thing, that I should go to the house of Caiaphas, for they had taken Jesus there. Hello, miss. Were you there when Jesus was brought here to the house of Caiaphas? Are you another one of those men of Galilee? I am. If you're looking for the man who tried to tell everyone he was the Messiah, he was here. I saw him. He thought he was a teacher. Well, Caiaphas taught him a few things. I was sitting in the courtyard when I saw one of you men of Galilee, one of his followers, I could tell. And I went up to him and I said, you, you were with Jesus, of that man from Galilee, weren't you? He told everybody that it wasn't true. Then one of the other girls saw him and said the same thing I did, that he was with Jesus of Nazareth, 
So he says, I swear to God I don't know the man. Next, a group of us went up to him. We told him we could tell by his accent that he was of Galilee. So again, he swears that he doesn't know the man. Then a rooster crowed, and he went outside and started crying for some reason. What does that say about you men of Galilee? Three times? The man denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed? That's right. Next, Jesus came out. I knew he was guilty because they spit on him and blindfolded him and they hit him with their fists. They said, show us that you are a prophet, Messiah. Tell us who hit you. So there's your prophet? Tell me, man of Galilee, what did he prophesy anyway? He prophesied to his friend. He said, the truth is, tonight you will say you don't know me. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Please, miss, tell me where I can find him. Sir, they took him to Pilate, the governor. Hello, is anyone here? It's just me. The crowd, they left some time ago. Were you here when Jesus was put on trial? I was. The crowd, they wanted a man to die. They wanted to see a crucifixion. A crucifixion? Death on a cross? It was my sentence. And I thought it would be me. The guards came and grabbed me out of jail at night. They said Pilate had called for me by name. They called me Barabbas. The mob, they were screaming. They wanted to see a man die. I knew it would be me. But then they started to say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Pilate, he looked at them and he said, this man has done nothing wrong. He hasn't broken any law. And so he gave him a choice to kill me, a criminal, or to kill him, an innocent man. And they chose to kill the innocent in place of the guilty. How could a Roman governor allow this to happen? He, he called for water, and he washed his hands of the decision. The prophet Isaiah must have seen this night when he wrote, Justice does not reach us, and righteousness is far from us. We search for brightness, but all is dark. For light, but we walk in deep shadows. Wait, are you one of his followers? Can you tell me, how am I supposed to live now that I know an innocent man died in my place? Can you tell me? I don't know what to say. Can you tell me where they took him from there? Well, Pilate, he handed him to the soldiers. They took him to the Praetorium. It won't go well for him there. Beyond all 
to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. Too much to take in, too much to understand. I hear what has happened, and I recall the words of the prophet Isaiah. Will you say them with me? 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I believe he knew all that would happen to him, for it was written in the scroll of Isaiah. Where could he be? Sir, can you tell me what happened here? Are you looking for that man from Galilee? I am. Were you here when he walked this road? Yes. I came down to Jerusalem from up in the country. My name is Simon. I'm from Cyrene. I didn't know what was going on in the city. There's a large crowd of people. First, the guards were pushing and kicking this man forward who was carrying a cross. It was another crucifixion. The road of broken stone. The Romans call it Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. The man fell to the ground. He was exhausted and hurt. He couldn't get up. The guards continued to kick him and curse him, but it did no good. He had nothing left. They saw me in the crowd. They pulled me forward, and they told me to take up the cross. I carried it. I carried that cross so they could lead that man to his death. The road was lined with people. They were yelling at him, mocking him, saying, you saved others? Why don't you save yourself if you're God's Messiah? This was written in the Psalms. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering upon me, and assail me in their anger. There, there were women in the crowd that cried to him. But he looked at them and he said, Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. For a time will come when you'll say, Blessed are the motherless children, mother, the childless mothers. Blessed are the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They gave him wine mixed with gall. But after one sip, he refused to drink it anymore. Why wouldn't he drink it? The wine dulls the pain and the gall dulls the senses. Most condemned men will drink gulp after gulp, an entire pitcher if they can, just to get some relief. But it's never enough. It's never enough when that iron nail tears through human flesh. Who was this man? What did he do that was so wrong? He did nothing wrong. Please, tell me where they took him. They took him to Golgotha, the place of the skull. That's where it happens.
Mary, please tell me, were you there? Matthew, yes, I was there. I was there when Jesus visited our home in Bethany. My sister Martha was busy with all the preparations for the meal, but I wanted nothing more than to sit at his feet and listen to him. He did not refuse me. Do you remember? Yes, I was there with him that day. And I was there, and Jesus wept for the death of my brother Lazarus. I was there when he called my brother out of the grave. He said to us, did I not tell you that if you will believe, you will see the glory of God? We saw on that day that he had the power to raise the dead. And I was there, just days ago, as Jesus reclined at the table with my brother Lazarus. I, I broke open a jar of pure nard, and I, I poured it on his head and watched it flow to his feet. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I let down my hair to dry his feet. I loved him so. I believed in him. I would have given him anything. The, the price of the perfume, the, the shame of uncovering my head, my very life. Yes, I was there with you that day, Mary. Some of us thought the perfume was wasted, but he told us that you were doing a good thing. You were busy with preparations for the burial, but he understood and knew what we did not. And I was there when they nailed him to the cross. It was not perfume that flowed from his wounded head to his helpless feet. It was blood. It was death. It was his life. You were here at the cross. Yes. And I will be there at his tomb. I'm going with my sister Martha to gather together spices to put with his body. Not yet. First we will honor the Sabbath. But as soon as the Sabbath is over, when the sun is just rising, I will once again prepare his body for burial. Yeah. 
Hello, Salome. Were you here at the cross when he suffered? I was here with him. I had been following Jesus ever since that day in Galilee when he called my sons, James and John, to be his disciples. Do you know I once asked Jesus if my sons could have places of honor, one to be at his right hand and, and the other to his left? Shall I tell you, Matthew, who I saw to his right and to his left? Dying men, criminals being punished for their deeds. And there was our Jesus in the middle of them. We thought he would be the Messiah. And I heard him cry out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we are left as abandoned and forsaken as he was. He did say one more thing, Matthew. He said it is finished. What is finished? He gave us the bread of life. He gave us living water. And in the end, he had nothing more to give. He was helpless and alone. He asked the soldiers, he said to them, I am thirsty. And they gave him vinegar. I remember what the psalmist wrote. Scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Matthew, you knew him well. He spoke to you in secret. I was hoping that you'd be able to tell me, Matthew, what is finished. Peter, were you here when Jesus died? Yes, I was here. I abandoned him. I denied him three times before morning, just like he said. And then I saw him again at the cross. I was here. What did you see? I saw him on the cross. He was suffering. And he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. He taught us about forgiveness in his life. But again, he was talk teaching us forgiveness as he was dying. We don't deserve his forgiveness. Least of all, me. What else happened, Peter? He died. And there was an earthquake, and at around noon, the sun disappeared for three hours. 
The heavens and earth protested. Darkness swallowed up light. Death had its victory. And at the end, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And breathes his last. He's dead? It's over. It's over, Matthew. Didn't he tell us that we had to go to Jerusalem for everything to be fulfilled? Didn't he say that they would yell at him, they'd spit on him, they would beat him, and that they would kill him? Didn't he tell us that's what would happen? Didn't we beg him not to come? He told us so many things, Peter. Wasn't there more for us to remember? What? Well, there is Isaiah, because Isaiah prophesied. He said, on this mountain, I will destroy all that brings despair to the nations, the cloth that covers the peoples. I will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away every single tear and will remove the disgrace from his people. I will boast only in the cross where my Savior died for me. Nothing else, no other love goes so far and runs so deep. I will boast only in the cross. See his head. His hands, his feet, scars of grace, the scars that heal. He broke the curse and set me free. Only one took the nails. Hope. 
the song I sing. This is my hope. The song I sing. Only Excuse me, Centurion, sir, were you here for the crucifixion? I was here. I saw the execution. Whenever we put a man to death, we list his crimes and post them as a warning for everyone to see. On his cross, we posted Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He was innocent of any crime. Jesus was born into the line of our King David. I saw my men throwing dice for his clothes. We have a psalm that predicted this would happen. My bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. I saw the darkness. I trembled when the earth shook. I cried out, surely this man was the son of God. But I was too late. He was dead. Where is he now? Some men came. They went to Pilate to ask for his body to bury it. 
Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. But he was. We were going to break his legs to end the crucifixion. But there was no need. Instead, we pierced his side with a spear. Blood and water poured out. I was there. I saw. One of our scriptures tells us that not one of his bones will be broken. Another says that they will look upon the one they have pierced. You have followed him as far as you can. He is dead. And where is the body? Two men took him to a garden near here. They buried the body in a tomb. They are probably still there. Sir, is this the place where Jesus of Nazareth was laid in his tomb? Yes, here in this garden. I am Joseph of Arimathea. I too was a follower of Jesus, but I followed him in secret, like my friend Nicodemus. I'm a member of the council, but I tell you, I, I do not approve of what happened here. He did not even opened his mouth to defend himself. And in my silence, I let this injustice happen. So his trial was much like what was written by the prophet Isaiah. He was afflicted and oppressed, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, yet as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? We were afraid to protest. We were afraid of the other leaders, of, of being thrown out of the temple. My silence will be on my conscience forever. Can you tell me where he now lies? We, we took his body down from the cross and wrapped it in fine linen and pounds of myrrh and aloe, and brought him to a new tomb, one recently cut into the rock. He died with the lowest of men, but he is buried in a wealthy man's grave. That also is written in Isaiah. Yes. He is assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. The women who followed him from Galilee also followed us to the tomb. They say they will return with more spices once the Sabbath is over. But it will do them no good. Even now there are soldiers preparing to roll a large stone in front of the entrance to the tomb. It will not be moved.
Galilee, go to your homes. Why would you come back here as soon as the Sabbath is over? Our master is dead, the tomb is sealed, and a Roman guard keeps watch over it. What would you ever hope to find in this God-forsaken place? <laughs> 